So today's going to be different than the basically the whole year that I've been here, uh, because we are going to be preaching through a different book of the Bible for the next 10 weeks. Uh, we're going to be going through some of the Psalms. And no, we're not going to go through every single Psalm in 10 weeks. That would be a challenge, but maybe not this summer. Uh, so we're going to be in the book of the in, in the book of Psalms, and um, if you've been here for many weeks, you've, we've been going through the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. So we're taking a break this summer, and I'm going to be introducing the book of Psalms today. So this will be an introduction, uh, kind of an overview, and we're going to be looking at what are the Psalms, what are they, and then the different categories of the Psalms. And specifically, I want to encourage, I want to try to emphasize, uh, to persuade you that you should be delighting in God's Word, delighting in His Word. And that will be the key word for today. So if Eloise, if you're watching at home, she likes to mark down how many times I say the key word is delight. The key word is to d- delight today. And I asked my kids yesterday what they delight in, specifically and I think this is something we can all understand, is what kind of food do you delight in, right? Uh, Maybe it's uh, shrimp etouffee or crawfish, beignets. Oh, that's coming from Louisiana, I guess. Maybe maybe not for you guys. But maybe if you were to take a trip to Louisiana, maybe I could get you to acquire the taste for crawfish, right? Or maybe it's dessert. Maybe you really like chocolate cake. You delight in some kind of food, right? And God has given us that great gift of food um, to delight in. Now imagine, though, if you couldn't have your favorite food for over 10 years, that you, you're without it for a long time. But then after that 10 years is up, you get to have that food again. How much would you enjoy it? How much would you delight in it? How much would you look forward to that day? And so as we look at to the Word of God, I want us to see the Word of God even more of a delight than our favorite food. That we would look at the Word of God and say, we want to enjoy it. It gives us happiness. It brings us joy. I delight in the Word of God. We see this in Psalm chapter 1. This is how it begins the whole book of Psalms. It wants us to be happy, to be blessed. And he says, how happy is the one. And he's not talking about this superficial happiness just to put on a smile, but deep down joy, blessedness that only comes from a relationship with God and walking in his ways. For he says, how happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. You're not standing, sitting, or walking with sinners. That means that you are not walking in sin yourself, and you're not being around those who are doing so. And how do you do that? How do you walk in the ways of God? How do you not walk in the way of sinners? Verse 2 tells us, instead, his delight, the one who is happy, his delight is in the Lord's instruction. That is the Lord's Torah. It is the Lord's word. It is his, the Bible. God's breathed word to us. His delight is in God's word. It is in the Lord's instruction. And if you delight in something, it says, you will meditate on it day and night. And I think it goes both ways. How do you learn to delight in God's word? You do so by meditating on it, by thinking about it, by reading it, 
rereading it, listening to it. You, and it's not just once a day or once a week, but it's every day, day and night. Your mind is constantly going back to the Word of God. Now, like I mentioned, some of you may not like crawfish, for example. But if you really had the right kind of taste buds, you would know that it's really good, right? And so some people may not like the Word of God. You may not delight in it. It may need to be an acquired taste for you. And to acquire that taste, you need to be exposed to it. You need to revisit it, read it, listen to it, study it, meditate on it. That is the beginning of delighting in God's Word. Does the Word of God bring you delight? Do you desire to read and listen to it? And so for the next 10 weeks... I will try to convince you and lead you to delighting in God's Word, specifically delighting and enjoying the book of Psalms. And so we're going to take a break from Matthew, like I said, and you might be asking, well, why are we taking a break from Matthew? Why not just finish it out? Why do this during the summer? Just a couple reasons to answer those questions. Um, last week, uh, if you were able to watch online, we, we just finished up Matthew chapter 22, and Jesus quoted Psalm 110. So it makes a fitting transition now to look at the book of Psalms. Jesus describes who the Messiah is in Psalm 110. He says, "How is then David that how it, it how is it then that David, inspired by the Spirit, calls him Lord?" So we already see here something about the Psalms that we'll, which he's about to quote is that some of them Psalms are written by David, as Psalm 110 is, and it's inspired by the Spirit. It is God's word. It is not just a collection of old songs written long ago, but it is actually God's word. And he asks this question, how can David call the Messiah Lord? And he quotes Psalm 110. He says, the Lord declared to my Lord. And as we looked at last week, we see the first Lord, God the Father, declaring to God the Son, the Messiah. They're both Lord. They're both God. And the Messiah will sit at God the Father's right hand. And he will be a conqueror. All the enemies will be under his feet. So this makes a good transition stopping point here in the book of Matthew. Before we get into Matthew chapter 23, Jesus will be giving the woes to the Pharisees. And he will be getting into very difficult uh, apocalyptic imagery and judgment. And then on his way to the cross. So stopping here at the end of chapter 22 makes makes some sense to take a break during the summer. And during the summer, specifically, because people are in and out, as we said, we got a mission trip coming up in the next month, Uh, people are going visiting, family, and so it would be beneficial to have self-contained units, as the Psalms are. So someone can come in and preach Psalm 37 or uh, Psalm 119, well, maybe not the whole Psalm 119, but part of it. And it would be better to pick up where you don't have to have the full context of, like, the book of Matthew. And so that would be another benefit of doing the Psalms during the summer. And it would also be beneficial for if when I'm out of town, uh, the guest preacher doesn't have to preach on, say, the Matthew 24, for example, the apocalyptic imagery, the destruction of Jerusalem, the end times. It's going to be a very weighty thing for uh, a guest preacher to come in and, all right, here we go, right? So, but a, a psalm would be a little bit easier, both on the hearers and on the preacher. And the last thing is, uh, this is not just something I made up. Uh, 
This is from other mentors that I have. Other churches do this as well. So I'm kind of just picking, piggybacking up on their good idea. It's not, I'm just not coming up with all these good ideas. Um, actually, in my study for the Psalms this week, I, I uh, was reading one pastor, and he had a summer in the Psalms in 1980. And so this goes back to at least the 80s, so probably further back than that. But that's just a tidbit. So today we'll serve as an introduction to the book of Psalms. Um, we will look at what the uh, Psalms are, and we will look at the different categories. It's gonna, we're going to do a, a very fast overview. We won't be able to stop and look at every single detail, but we will get the, the big picture. So let's try to get that acquired taste for God's Word in the Psalms, try to get that delighting in God's Word. And to be able to delight in God's Word, I think you would be best served if you know more about God's Word. If you can understand it, if you can know the framework, what the Psalms are, that can lead you into delighting, to understanding, and enjoying the Psalms. And as with anything in life, we need to begin with the Word of God and prayer. So we will look at Psalm 119, God's Word, verse 18, which gives us this prayer. He says, Open my eyes so that I may contemplate wondrous things from your instruction. So we begin with the word of God instructing us how, to, how do we start to delight in God's word. We ask God to open our eyes to it. We need the power of God to open our eyes to see the things that are in God's word. Because without God opening our eyes, it'll just be another ancient book that's hard to understand. But with spiritual eyes, with God opening our eyes, we can see how wonderful the things there are. So that, let that be our prayer. And so when we pray and God will, can answer this prayer for us, we can, Psalm 119 verse 103 can be true for us. It says, how sweet your word is to my taste. I want this to be true for myself every day because honestly, it's, it's not true every day. It's, it, it takes work. It takes meditation. It takes prayer. Great, the great, by the grace of God, his word can be sweeter than honey in our mouth. That is our goal. That's what we want. We want to enjoy God's word. That is our desire. And so, well, first we'll look at what are the Psalms. Um, as we look at um, the two different, uh, basically broken up the sermon into two categories, we'll look at what are the Psalms. And then what are the categories of the Psalms? So first, what are the Psalms? The Psalms are, in the most basic term, they're a collection of songs. They're a collection of songs that serve as prayers, a collection of songs that serve as instruction, and they're for God's people by God's people. So we see God's people writing these Psalms and these songs and prayers and instruction, and they're for God's people. So the English word psalm comes from the Greek psalmoi, which is a translation of the Hebrew mizmor, which the Hebrew term and the Greek term uh, basically means a song accompanied by musical instruments. So a psalm is basically a song. And the Hebrew title telahim signifies the contents of the book is songs of praise. So the psalms are, in the most basic sense, songs of praise. But they were brought together into this one big book of 150, the collected psalms, and they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. 
They're not just psalms and songs and prayers written by people, but they're written by people inspired by the Holy Spirit. They are God's word. And they're grouped into five books, just like paralleling the five books of Moses. We know the, five, the first five books, Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The first five match the five books of Psalms. And so we have, we have different ways we can know that they're broke, it's broken up into five books. But I think the most obvious way is at the end of each book, we have a very similar phrase, a similar verse. So let's look at Psalm 41, verse 13. At the, this is the end of book one. It says... See if we get there. So Psalm 41, verse 13, this is the last verse of book one of the Psalms. It says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. So we'll see a, we'll see a very similar phrasing five times in the, book of, in the whole big book of Psalms. So that's the end of book one. Here's the end of book two. Psalm 72, verse 19. Blessed be his glorious name forever. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Amen and amen. See the pattern? It's blessing God, praising him forever, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. This is true. Let this be true is what amen means there. And then at the end of book 3, Psalm 89, verse 52, blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. And then at the end of book 4, Psalm 106, verse 48, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Let all the people say amen. Hallelujah. And then at the very end of the book of Psalms, we read Psalm 150, verse 6. Let everything that breathes praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Over and over again, we see a theme of praising God through the Psalms. From everlasting to everlasting, forever and ever is our praise to God. The Psalms also serve not just as songs of praise, but they also serve as prayers and instructions. As the Bible Project defines the book of Psalms this way, it says it is the prayer book of God's people who are striving to be faithful to God's word and waiting for the kingdom of God. So it is the prayer book of God's people who are striving to be faithful to God's word and waiting for the kingdom of God. So this song book, this prayer book, this instruction book is for God's people. And it was used and meant to be used both individually and corporately. That means that it's the individual use of the Psalms, reading, meditating, singing, praying at home, in your car, wherever you're at alone, you can read these Psalms and be, benefit from them individually. They're for you personally. But also remember that we are not alone in our worship of God. That God has saved us from our sin. He saved us from darkness into light, into the kingdom of God, into a people, into the church. We're not just alone. We're not lone wolf Christians. That would be an oxymoron. We're saved into the church to meditate, to sing and pray these psalms together. That is the importance of meeting together to encourage one another and worship God together as part of God's family. We see the early Christians coming together and singing the Psalms. We see in Ephesians 5.19 that they spoke to one another in Psalms, 
hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord. So notice how they're singing and what they're speaking, what they're saying. First, they're making music with their heart. It is not just lip service. They are singing and talking what they really believe. It is from their heart. And while they are singing to the Lord, they are also singing to one another. Again, we are supposed to be together. We benefit from one another's company. We benefit from one another speaking to one another in these psalms, in these hymns. We don't just benefit from the, the beautiful music, which is true. We, be, we, we benefit because of their content. We benefit from the encouragement. We benefit from being reminded that we are not in this alone, that we are in the faith together. That we have brothers and sisters that are praising God too and encouraging us to do the same. So the Psalms are a collection of songs, prayers, and instructions by God's people for God's people. The second thing that the Psalms are, the Psalms are poetry. They're poetry. And me personally, I'm not a big fan of poetry. I'm, that's just not how my natural bent. Now, Rachel, my wife, loves poetry. She's, she's very much more in tune with her emotions than I am. But through the reading of God's word and through the work of his spirit, he's growing me to like poetry more and to be, encompass my whole self into God's word and into my life. Because practically speaking, I feel like most men are this way. We kind of have a dividing wall. We're just like, I just want to shut down my emotions. It's just easier to have that wall up and not get attached to things, not to be overly emphatic about things, because if you get attached to something emotionally, then if that something is to go away, then that hurts. And no one likes to be hurt. No one likes pain. And so all that to say is sometimes we need to let our emotions be within our faith. And so that's part of what the Psalms will be doing and why God communicated through poetry. Because he doesn't want just our minds. He doesn't want just our intellect, but he wants our whole self. He wants our, our whole emotions and our desires and our, our wants and our wills to be a part of our faith. And so we'll learn from the Psalms how our emotions fit in to our faith. Where does sadness fit in? Where does joy, where does depression, where does anger All these will be expressed in the Psalms and will shape us how we should rightly feel towards God and feel towards each other. And so being that the Psalms were written thousands of years ago in another language, Hebrew, the poetry will be very different than poetry in the 21st century America. So we need to to understand that. And uh, from time to time, I'll point out Hebrew phrases to help us better understand the, the poetry there. But even in English, we can appreciate the beauty of the poetry of the Psalms. You can, when you read the Psalms, you open up your Bible, it's in the middle of the, the Old Testament, it's in the middle of the Bible, you can know that the Psalms are different than, say, a narrative. Uh, let me give you uh, an example. I'll give you a narrative, a story of Exodus. Right? I'll read this story from Exodus 14, and then I'll read you a poem about that story. And you can see the difference. And you, we can start to think why God communicates to us in his word through poetry. Why doesn't God just tell us the facts 
and leave it there. But he wants to communicate to us through poetry for a reason. And so see if you can tell the difference. Here's the narrative of Exodus 14, 27, as they're coming out of Egypt, crossing the Red Sea. This is the story, and it kind of reads like an action movie. Right? So verse 27 of Exodus 14. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea returned to its normal depth. While the Egyptians were trying to escape from it, the Lord threw them into the sea. The water came back and covered the chariots and the horsemen, and plus the entire army of Pharaoh that had gone after them into the sea. Not even one of them survived. But the Israelites had walked through the sea on dry ground, with the waters like wall to them on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the power of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. When Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and believed in him and his servant Moses. Great story. Great picture of God's power, of his justice, of his saving Israel. And we see how they, the conclusion is that they feared God. They believed in him. There are some great truths in that story. Now let's look at a poem right, that comes right after this in Exodus 15. A poem, a song describing the same event. And you'll see the difference. Exodus 15, starting in verse 1. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. They said, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. He has thrown the horse and its rider into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. He threw Pharaoh's chariots and his army into the sea. The elite of his officers were drowned in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They sank to the depth like a stone. Lord, your right hand is glorious in power. Lord, your right hand shattered the enemy. You overthrew your adversaries by your great majesty. You unleashed your burning wrath. It consumed them like stubble. The water heaped up at the blast from your nostrils. The current stood firm like a dam. The watery depths congealed in the heart of the sea. Very different. Same account, same truth of God's power of his deliverance, of his saving work, but told in the form of a song, of a poem. Why would God do that? Why would we have this, why would we have Exodus 15? And it keeps going, the song keeps going. It's very, it's different. And I think we can, try, we can speculate a little bit why God communicates to us the way he does. Um, I can't exhaust all the reasons why, but I know two things. God, God's ways are true and right. And he wants to communicate to us for this for a reason, and it's for our good. And so here's one reason why I think God wants to communicate, us, communicate to us through poetry. And other people have brought this up. This is not, this is not just me coming up with this. They, they communicate the same truth in a different way. In poetry, it appeals to your emotions. It appeals to your imagination. It talks about God and the watery depths and the, them sinking like a stone. It's imagery to get your whole body a mental picture of what's going on, to give you, 
to involve your whole imagination, your emotions, your whole self into the story in a different way than a narrative. So that's why I think God communicates to us in different forms, in different literary devices, namely poetry. So the Psalms are a collection of songs and prayers and instructions for us, and they're also poetry. And then third, as we've talked about, Psalms are people's words. They are people's words. They are windows into the, the people of, of God's ancient faith. When they pray for something, we get to see what they prayed for. When they cried out to God, we get to see their cry. And so, in a sense, we can, we can see Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 9 be true as we read the Psalms. Ecclesiastes says, what has, been, what has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. So when we read the Psalms, we can say, oh, David was sad. David was depressed. David was angry. There ain't nothing new under the sun. I can relate to David. Even though we live thousands of years apart, even though he was a king of a whole country, I can relate to this emotion. So when we, we, we come to the Psalms with a range of emotions, and we see a range of emotions in the Psalms. We'll see grief, sorrow, fear, doubt, hope, confusion. So again, it makes sense that they write this in a poetic form so that they can better address these emotions. And so we'll look at how our emotions fit into our faith reading the Psalms. And since the Psalms of God's people, we're looking at how people felt, how people cried out to God. We can kind of see the Psalms as a mirror. We look at the mirror and sometimes we may not like what we see. We say, I don't want to see darkness. I don't want to see my sadness. I don't want to see my anger. But sometimes it's good to look in the mirror and see what's going on. So we can look at the Psalms and we can name our emotions more clearly. We can say, this is what's going on. I can put a name on it, and I can address it. I, don't, I just have to act like everything's okay. The Psalms don't act like everything's okay. They always end in praise to God and turning to God in faith. But there's times over and over again where they are troubled, where they are harmed. They are questioning the goodness of God. And so we can join in and ask those questions and turn to faith in God in the midst of it all. We see some of these uh, emotions. We see shame and embarrassment. Shame and embarrassment in Psalm 44. He says, You make us a joke among the nations, a laughingstock among the peoples. My disgrace is before me all day long, and shame has covered my face. He doesn't beat around the bush. This is how he feels. And sometimes we feel like this. What do we do with that? Go before the Lord. We read the Psalms. We meditate on the Lord's instruction. He gives us guidance to how we deal with these emotions. We see fear. We see the fear and doubting God in Psalm 56. He says, when I am afraid, I will trust you. So he, even though he trusts God, he still has a fear. People are afraid. And we see sadness in Psalm 6. six. It says, I am weary from groaning. With my tears, I dampen my bed and drench my couch every night. My eyes are swollen from grief. They grow old because all of my enemies. 
These are real prayers, real emotions. We also see the goodness of God in the Psalms. As we see, I've already seen the praise of God and the work of his salvation. We see Psalm 116 says, I love the Lord because he has heard my appeal for mercy. Because he has turned his ear to me, I will call out to him as long as I live. So no matter what's going on, no matter what, what downside, depression, sadness, we can always turn and call on God. In shame, in fear, in the sadness, we need to remind ourselves. We need to meditate on these scriptures and delight in these scriptures so we can constantly be turned back to faith and trust in God. So in reading the Psalms, our doubts can lead to trust, our anger into love, our sadness into joy. But as one commentator rightly pointed out, as we read the Psalms, we must remember that the Psalms aren't magical incantations. It sometimes appears that the psalmist changed his negative feelings to positive ones like that. He's like, he's sad, he's fearful, but then he trusted God. But the Psalms compress time in such a way that we don't see the long process. We don't see, as, he, as we read one psalm, night after night of crying, of his dampening his couch with his tears. So there, there's a process behind each psalm. We see the emotional struggle behind it. He goes on to conclude that we need to remember that emotions aren't a separate compartment in our lives. What we know often affects what we feel. What we know often affects what we feel. And what we feel often affects what we know. They go hand in hand. So we need to bring our whole self before God, including our emotions. When we read his word, when we sing, when we pray, we can ask, how do our emotions fit into this? Let God, through his word, transform our emotions, transform our delights, what we desire. So we've seen that the Psalms are a collection of songs, prayers, and instructions. We've seen that they are poetry. We have seen that they are People's words, we see a real insight into what people believed and what they cried out and how they felt. And lastly, the Psalms are God's words. Not only is it, are they people's words, but they are God's words to his people. Just like the rest of the scriptures, the Psalms are included in 2 Timothy 3.16. When it says all scripture is inspired by God, that includes the Psalms. And these psalms are, just like all of Scripture, they're profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and training in righteousness. Now, you might think, how can a song be profitable for rebuking? How can a song or a prayer be profitable for correcting or training in righteousness? Well, we've already seen in Psalm 1, the song, the prayer, is teaching us something. It's teaching us to not walk in the pathway of sinners, but to delight in God's word. So right there we can see it's profitable for teaching. But then secondly, some psalms, which may not have a quote-unquote teaching aspect, but may simply be a, a song of praise, that can also teach us something. Teach us how to praise God. It can teach us what we should be praising God for. It can teach us how our emotions are to be involved with our faith. And so the psalms are all of these things. 
and verse 17, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The Psalms are to equip us to help others, equip us to serve one another. Meditating, reading the scriptures, reading the Psalms can help you give a word of encouragement to someone. To quote a Psalm, to to read a Psalm can help you do a good work for someone else. So that's basically what the Psalms are. For the last couple moments, I wanted to go real fast over the different categories of the Psalms. And so there's going to be four main categories. Scholars have different uh, subdivisions and different categories, but just to, for simplicity, simplicity, I'm going to go with four. And we're going to go, and over the next ten weeks, we're going to look at these four different categories. So four different categories of the Psalms. First is praise. That's the main one. It's the one that the theme throughout the book of Psalms is praising God, worshiping Him. And then the second is kind of somewhat opposite, but it, it, it is included, it can be included in a praise, but it's lament. And I feel like the lament, we might spend more weeks on this because this is the one that is not most common, most commonly taught about, at least for me growing up. Um, we, I kind of grew up, and I feel like a lot of people want to be uh, self-sufficient, uh, where we talk about not complaining, don't uh, just be happy, put a smile on your face. But a lot of the Psalms are lamenting. They're crying out to God. They're being honest, saying, hey, God, I don't know what's going on. Why are you doing this? Why does my life look like this? And I think that's a, a thing we can learn and, and imitate some of those Psalms better. So a Psalm of Lament cry out to God of sadness and distress. And then third, psalms of wisdom. These are the psalms of teaching that teach us something, gives us wisdom about something. And then fourth, the messianic king. Those, those psalms that look forward to Jesus, that look forward to the king. So that, that is a major theme, as we'll see throughout as well, as we saw Jesus quoting Psalm 110, which talks about the Messiah, the king. So let me just give you a, a run through a couple verses. I'll give you an example of each category. Um, at the end of the whole book of Psalms, uh, we have five psalms of praise, which is, and they all begin and have the word hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, hallelujah is not really an English word. <laughs> so what does hallelujah mean? If I break it down like this, the first part, hallelujah, means praise. Then Yah is short for Yahweh. Put it together, hallelujah means praise Yahweh. So every time you say hallelujah, you're saying praise Yahweh. Praise God. Okay? And so that's, what we'll say, that's the, the main focus of the last uh, five chapters of the, the book of Psalms, starting in verse uh, Psalm 146. Let's see if we get up there. Yeah, Psalm 146, it says, Hallelujah, praise Yahweh, my soul, praise the Lord. And then Psalm 147, Hallelujah, how good it is to sing to our God, for praise is pleasant and lovely. And then Psalm 148, Hallelujah, praise the Lord from the heavens, praise Him in the heights. Psalm 149, Hallelujah, sing to the Lord a new song, His praise in the assembly of the faithful. And then lastly, Psalm 150, Hallelujah, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty expanse. Praise, praise, hallelujah, praise God. And then the second, the lament. We see Psalm 22, which is going to be 
So there's going to be different categories overlapping. So Psalm 22 would be a lament psalm, but also Jesus picks this up and he is, it's really, he fulfills Psalm 22 as well. And so it's both like a, a messianic psalm and a lament psalm. So Psalm 22 says, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far from my deliverance and from my words of groaning? We see the, the emotions. We see the, the feeling that God is distant from him. He says, my God, I cry day by day, but you do not answer by night, yet I have no rest. Sometimes we feel like that. But we, we keep meditating, we keep reading, and at the end of the psalm, we see some good, good news. As many of the laments, I think if all, they all begin with this cry of distress, but they all end with a declaration of who God is and what he's done for them, and that they can trust him. So that's Psalm 22. Psalm 42, similar, the lament psalm, the crying out, Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. You see, it's the distress in the first part. We say, Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why do I feel this way? Why are you in such turmoil? But their hope is in God, and he still praises him, even though the way he feels. And then the wisdom, wisdom psalm. We saw this in Psalm 1, instructing us. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked. And we see this in Psalm 119. It says, how happy are those who ways blameless, who walk according to the Lord's instruction. So it may be easier to understand singing and praying praises and praying laments But God also wants us to connect our mind and our actions with our emotions and our intellect with the Lord's instruction. He teaches us his instruction through poetry, through song. And then lastly, we I do want to point out real before we get to the Messianic King here um, that when we talk about the wisdom and learning the Lord's instruction, this is not to earn salvation, uh, but this is because we have been saved. We see this in Psalm 32. He talks about how joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven. It doesn't say that you need to, to earn God's acceptance, to earn his forgiveness, to act rightly so that you can be a part of his kingdom. No, that you're joyful, you're happy because your transgression, your sin has been forgiven, has been covered. And we know with, that's pointing to Jesus again. That our Jesus' blood, his death on the cross, covers our sin. And when he saves us, that empowers us. That enables us to delight in his law. That enables us to obey his word. Jesus came to give us life. He came to take the burden of the law away so that we can delight in God's law. And that is who the, the Messiah, the Messianic King Psalms point to. In Psalm chapter 2, verse 2, as we'll see, um, hopefully next week, I'll, get, I'll do Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 together. But Psalm 2 says, The king of the earth take their stand, and the rulers conspire together against the Lord and his anointed one. That's the Messiah. That's Jesus. They've come together against Jesus. But the good news is in verse 7, I will declare the Lord's decree. He said to me, You are my son. Today I became your father. And we see this, Paul cites this in Acts chapter 13, verse 33. God has fulfilled this for us, 
their children by raising up Jesus. Jesus died for our sins, rose again on the third day, and this was to fulfill Psalm chapter 2. As it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I become your father. Jesus fulfills many of the Psalms through his death and resurrection. So over and over again, the Psalms are pointing us to Jesus. They're pointing us to the Messiah. They show us our need for a Savior. We look at how we don't delight in God's law like we ought. We look at the law and we, we look at, yeah, I am sometimes sitting and standing with mockers. And I say, I need a Savior. I need to be forgiven. They show us what the Savior will be like. They show us who Jesus is, that he has authority and power, and he will defeat all the enemies. They show us that we can be what we can be like. They show us that we can delight in God's law when we're saved from our sins. So at the end here, the Psalms are a collection of songs. They're a prayer book. They're instructions. They're poetry. They're people's words from the long ago. And they are God's words. So with this introduction, I hope this spurs you on to read the Psalms for yourself, to train yourself to meditate, to delight in God's Word. So practically for the next 10 weeks, we'll be going through the Psalms, and there being 150 Psalms, you can read 15 Psalms a week, and you'll be done in 10 weeks. 15 Psalms a week. That's about two or three Psalms a day. So schedule a few minutes each day, in, in the morning, at night, at lunchtime, get an audio version. Listen to the Psalms in your car. But meditate on them. Think about them. Train yourself to have delight. Have those that taste, that acquired taste for God's Word. Pray and ask God that He would open up His Word before you and that you would delight in His Word. Will you pray with me? God, I do thank you for your Word. Help us delight in it each and every day. Help us meditate on it. Help us to see how beautiful it is, how we can bring our whole selves before you, all of our emotions, good and bad, that show us how our emotions fit into our faith. Show us how we can cry out to you in honesty and that you will hear our cry and that you can answer our prayers and that you hear us. God, we thank you for giving us your word to to teach us how to pray, to teach us how to sing, to teach us how to think, how to live. God, thank you for saving us. God, if there's anyone here today or listening online that if they have never trusted in Jesus to save them from their sins and that they they listen to this sermon about God's word and and delighting in it and it makes no sense to them, God, I pray that you would open their eyes today that they would see that they are in need of a Savior, that there is more to this life than what they've been going through, that you would use this as an opportunity, that you would use your word and the power of your spirit to open their eyes, that they would, for the first time, see your word and just have delight in it because they know that in it uh, are the words of life. In it, we can find who Jesus is and that he has saved us from our sins and that you have empowered us by your spirit to live for you. Help us be disciplined and dedicated to read your word this week. God, thank you again for this time to be together, to sing your praises, to sing and speak the psalms. God, we we thank you and love you. Bring us back together again. In Jesus' name, amen. The altar is open.